Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast, coming to you live from Morning Star Lodge number 47. Leave your aprons at the door, brethren. Freemasons podcast with your host, Right Worship Brother George Mudry, and we are going to start again with the Lost Book of Enki. Uh, last time we read the introduction and the attestation, and this time we are getting into the first tablet. So we're going to start with the synopsis of the first tablet. <clears throat> Lamentation over the desolation of Sumer, how the gods fled their cities as the nuclear cloud spread the debates in the Council of the Gods, the fateful decision to unleash the weapons of terror, the origin of the gods and the awesome weapons on Nibiru, Nibiru's north-south wars, unification, the dynastic rules, Nibiru's place in the solar system, a dwindling atmosphere causes climate changes, efforts to obtain gold to shield the atmosphere fail, Alalu, the usurper, uses nuclear weapons to stir volcanic gases, Anu, a dynastic heir, deposes Alalu. Alalu steals a spacecraft and escapes from Nibiru. So again, I just want to put it as a disclaimer. This isn't, uh, I'm, I'm reading this to give that hope everybody will, will listen to this and draw some Masonic connections. I just want to also say that these tablets were written on cuneiform tablets. Uh, they were made out of clay, and they predate the Bible by about 5,000 years. Uh, these were deciphered by the late Zechariah Sitchin, and even if you think this is all BS, uh, it is one hell of a story, regardless of how you perceive it. Uh, and this is no way, shape, or form trying to change anybody and their religious beliefs. This is just uh, something from predating or the first civilization predating the Bible and many other current religious books. Let's get into the first tablet here. The words of the Lord Enki, firstborn son of Anu, who reigns on Nibiru. With heavy spirit, I utter laments, laments that are bitter fill my heart. How smitten is the land, its people delivered by the evil wind, its stables abandoned, its sheepfolds emptied. How smitten are the cities, their people piled up as dead corpses, afflicted by the evil wind. How smitten are the fields, their vegetation withered, touched by the evil wind. How smitten are the rivers, nothing swims anymore, pure sparkling waters turned to poison. Of its blackhead people, Schumer is emptied, gone is all life. Of its cattle, 
the sheep and sheep. Sumer is emptied. Silent, it is its hum of churning milk. Uh, interesting fact about this is nobody really understands or knows why the civilization of Sumer uh, just disappeared. There's no real reason for it. Um, eventually it turned into the, uh, the Babylonian and Akkadian empires, but nobody really understands why the first civilization disappeared. In its glorious cities, only the winds howl. Death is the only smell. The temples whose, heaven, whose heads to heaven rose by their gods have been abandoned. Of lordship and kingship, command there is none. Scepter and tiara are gone. On the banks of the two great rivers, once lush and life-giving, only weeds grow. That would be the Tigris and Euphrates. No one treads the highways. No one seeks out the roads. Flourishing Sumer is like an abandoned desert. How smitten is the land, home of the gods and men. On that land a calamity fell, one unknown to man. A calamity that mankind has never seen before, one that could not be withstood. On all the lands from west to east, the disruptive hand of terror was placed. The gods in their cities were helpless as men. So whatever the hell happened, not even the um not even the Anunnaki gods were were able to be saved. Uh they were just like men. An evil wind, a storm born in a distant plain, a great calamity wrought its path. A death-dealing wind bore in the west its way to the east has made its court set by fate. Now that's interesting because I don't 100% know if they knew back in the day how the earth spun, but most storms go from west to east based off of the course of the earth turning. A storm devouring as the deluge, by wind and not by water, a destroyer. By poisoned air, not tidal waves, overwhelming. By fate, not destiny, was it engineered. The god, the great gods in their council, a great calamity had caused. By Enlil and Ninhursag, it was permitted. I alone for a halt was beseeching. So what Enki's saying is basically Enlil and Ninhursag, uh, wanted to do this great calamity. They wanted to use some sort of a weapon, and Enki was staying. Was saying was the only one saying no. Day and night to accept the heavens' decree. I argued to no avail. Ninurta and Lil's warrior son and Nurgle, my very own son, poisoned weapons in the great plain they unleashed. That an evil wind shall follow the brilliance we knew not. They were now. They now cry in agony. So this particular weapon, and this is why Zechariah Sitchin uh, surmises that they were nuclear, is the fact that uh, it was an evil wind, and we all know about nuclear fallout. And uh, he was saying a great brilliance they knew not, so it was extremely bright. And the only thing that we know of on this earth right now that would cause such a thing would be a nuclear weapon. That death-dealing storm, born in the west, its course to east, shall make. Who could foretell? The gods now bowmen. In their holy cities, the gods stood disbelieving as the evil wind toward Shumer made its way. Again, Shumer, Sumer, same thing. One after another, the gods fled their cities, their temples abandoned to the wind. In my city, Iridu, as a poison cloud approached, I could do nothing to stop it. Escape to the steppe. 
to the people I gave instructions with Ninki, my spouse, the city I abandoned. In the city, Nippur, place of bond of heaven and earth, and Lil could do nothing to stop it. The evil wind against Nippur was onrushing. In his celestial boat, and Lil and his spouse hurried, hurriedly took off. In Ur, Schumer's city of kingship, so the city of Ur was the capital, I guess you could say, Nanar to his father and Lil for help he cried. In the place of the temple that to heaven in steps rises, Nanar, the hand of fate, refused to heed. And again, I apologize for my reading of this. This is, again, written on a tablet and they didn't speak perfect English. So <laughs> I'm doing my best here. Uh, my father who begot me, great God, who to Ur had granted kingship, turned the evil wind away. Nanar pleaded. Great God who decrees the fates, let Ur and its people be spared. Your praises to continue, Nanar uh, appealed. And Lil answered his son Nanar. Noble son, your wondrous city kingship was granted. Eternal reign, it was not granted. So what he's basically saying is that uh, it was going to come to an end at some point in time. And Lil answered his son, Nanar, noble son, your wondrous city kingship granted eternal reign. It was not granted. Interesting. Uh, Take hold of your spouse, Ningal. Flee the city. Even I who decree fates, its destiny I cannot bend. So they're basically saying there's nothing they can do about this. Thus did in Lil my brother speak. Alas, 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 not a destiny it was. I think it's funny they did three alasses. Um, the calamity none greater since the deluge gods of earthlings has befallen. Alas, not a destiny it was. The great deluge was destined to happen. The great calamity of death-dealing storm was not. So what they're saying is basically the flood, the great flood, was destiny. There's nothing they could do to stop that. They had no control over that. But this, the great calamity, they did. By the breach of a vow, by a council decision it was caused, by weapons of terror it was created. By a decision, not destiny, there were poisoned weapons unleashed, by deliberation was the lot cast. Against Marduk, my firstborn, did the two sons' destruction direct, vengeance was in their hearts. Ascendancy is not Marduk's to grasp, and Lil's firstborn sh- shouted, With weapons I shall oppose him, Ninurta said. Of people he raised an army, Babel's as Earth's navel to declare. Nurgal, Marduk's brother, so shouted. In the council of the great gods, words of venom were spread. Day and night I raised my opposing voice, peace I counseled, deploring haste. For the second time, the people have raised his heavenly image. Why does opposition, why does opposing continue, I ask in pleading. Have all the instruments been checked? Did not the era of Marduk in the heavens arrive? I once more inquired. Ningazita, my very son, other signs have heaven sighted. His heart I knew Marduk's injustice to him could not forgive. Nanar, to Enlil's earthborn, was unrelenting too. Marduk, my temple, in the north city, his own abode made, so he said. So see, basically what we're going to go, we're going through is, we're just 
they're talking back and forth. He's describing the conversation that was going on. Listen, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to fuck you up. No, I'm going to fuck you up. No, I'm going to do this. So this goes on and on. Um, and he's basically saying that his own son, Nurgle, uh, Enki's own son, who's a brother of Marduk, uh, also turned on his own brother. Uh, in silence, Enlil opened his mouth. Punishment there must be. Like birds without wings, the evil doer shall be. So this goes on and on, and they're talking about... Uh, they eventually uh, called up to Nibiru, which is kind of interesting. They uh, they actually had inter... I guess you could say interstellar communication. And it says, Anu, from his celestial abode, to the discussions was giving much heed. Anu, who determines fates from his celestial abode, his voice made heard. Let the weapons of terror be used this once. Let the place of the rocket ships be obliterated. Yeah, which is funny because the word that's actually used, and again, I've done my own Sumerian translations and uh, my own Sumerian uh, understanding of the language. Uh, the word actually for rocket ships uh, or similar to is uh, dingir, is what it is. And if you look at the actual cuneiform uh, description of the word dingir, it looks exactly like a rocket ship. Uh, let the rocket ships be obliterated. Let the people be scared. Let Ninurta be the scorcher bee. Let Nurgle be the annihilator. So did Enlil the decision announce. To them the secrets of the gods I shall reveal. The hiding place of the terror weapons to them I shall disclose. So they had weapons hidden. Um, we'll get into that later. The two sons, one of mine, one of his, into in the inner chamber Enlil summoned. Nurgle, as he went by me, his gaze averted. So Nurgle's like, shit, I don't even want to look at my dad because he's just going to bitch slap me. Alas, I cried without words. Brother has turned against brother. Are the prior times fated to repeat? A secret from the olden times to them and Lil was in revealing. The weapons of terror to their hands entrusting. Clad with terror, with brilliance they are unleashed. All, They all touch to a dust heap they return. Interesting. From dust we shall return. Sound familiar? For brother against brother in earth they were forsworn. Neither region to effect. So they basically had these weapons and they had no idea what the hell they were going to do. Now the oath was undone like a broken jar its useless pieces. The two sons full of glee quickened stepped from Elil's chamber emerged with weapons departing. The other gods turned back to their cities. None of his own calamity had foreboding. So that was basically a conversation or telling you the, the counsel of the gods and what was going to be happening, which I find interesting because you know, I drew my own conclusion that if you want to compare it to one of the Gnostic Bibles, uh, it sounds very much like, I guess you could say, the Book of Enoch where there was a, a war amongst the gods. So this is now account of the prior times and the weapons of terror. So this is telling you the prior times um, where the weapons of terror came into be. Before the prior times was the beginning. After the prior times were the olden times. So you had uh, the beginning, the beginning times, the prior times, and then the olden times. In the olden times, when the gods came to Earth and created the Earthlings. In the prior times, 
None of the gods were on earth, nor were the earthings yet fashioned. In the prior times, the abode of the gods was their own planet. Nibiru was its name. And actually, in Sumerian, Nibiru means the place of the crossing. And uh, momentarily, we'll get into that about what Zechariah Sitchin you know, some, some scholars of Sumeria say there was a place of the crossing, meaning in between the two Tigris and Euphrates rivers, but you'll see kind of what it means in regards to our solar system. A great reddish, a great planet, reddish in brilliance around the sun in elongated circuit Nibiru makes. For a time in the cold is Nibiru engulfed. Uh, yeah, obviously when it's farther away from our sun, for part of its circuit by the sun strongly it is heated. A thick atmosphere in Nibiru envelops by volcanic eruptions constantly fed. All manner of life this atmosphere sustains. Without that, there will be only perishing. In the cold period, the inner heat of Nibiru it keeps around the planet like a warm coat that is constantly renewed. In the hot periods, it shields Nibiru from the sun's scorching rays. In its mist rains, it holds and releases. Two lakes and streams gives rise. Lost vegetation, our atmosphere feeds and protects all manner of life in the waters and on land to sprout it caused. After aeons of time, our own species sprouted by our own essence, the eternal seed to procreate. So what they're basically saying is nobody created them their own essence, eventually they just evolved. As our numbers grew to many regions of Nibiru, our ancestors spread. Some tilled the land, some four-legged creatures shepherded. Some lived in the mountains, and some in the valleys their homes made. Rivalries occurred, encroachments happened, clashes occurred, sticks became weapons. Clans gathered into tribes, then two great nations each other faced. The nation of the north against the nation of the south took up arms. What was held by hand to thrusting missiles was turned. Weapons of thunder and brilliance increased the terror. Interesting. Uh, a war, long and fierce, engulfed the planet, brother amassed against brother. There was death and destruction both north and south. For many circuits, desolation reigned the land. All life was diminished. Then a truce was declared. Then peacemaking was conducted. Let the nations be united, the emissaries said to one another. Let there be one throne on Nibiru, one king to reign over all. Let the leader from the north or from the south be lot, by lot be chosen, one king supreme to be. If he be from the north, let south choose a female to be his spouse's equal queen to reign alongside. If by lot the south male is chosen, let the north's female be his spouse. Husband and wife, wife, let them be as one flesh to become. Let their firstborn son be the successor. Let a unified dynasty thus be formed, unity on the bureau forever to be established. In the midst of the ruins, peace was started. North and south by marriage were united. The royal throne into one flesh combined, an unbroken line of kingships established. The first king... After peace was made, a warrior of the north he was, a mighty commander. By lots, true and fair he was chosen, his decree in unity were accepted. For his abode he built a splendid city, a gade. Unity meaning was its name. For his reign a royal title was granted, on 
it was. The celestial one was its meaning. So on, it's interesting, you're going to start to learn where the word Anunnaki comes from. But uh, on was the celestial one. With strong arm under uh, order in the lands he reestablished, laws and regulations he decreed. Governors for each land was appointed. Restoration and reclamation was their foremost task. Of him in the royal annals, thus it was recorded. On the lands unified, peace on the bureau he restored. He built a new city. The canals he repaired, food to the people he provided, there was abundance in the lands. For his spouse the south for his spouse, the south a maiden had chosen. For both love and wearing warring she was noted. On two interesting was her royal title. The leader who is An's spouse, name given cleverly, did mean. So on two A N dot T U. She bore on three sons and no daughters. The firstborn son, by her name, Anki, A-N-K-I, by a solid foundation was its meaning. Alone in the throne was he seated, a spouse to choose twice postponed. In his reign, concubines were brought into the palace. A son to him was not born. So, basically, he brought in who was... The dynasty thus began with the death of Anki disrupted, A-N-K-I, disrupted, not Enki. On the foundation, no offspring followed. The middle son, though not the firstborn, the legal heir was now pronounced. So what they're basically saying is that the firstborn son was uh, the legal heir. Quite interesting, too. From his youth, three of his brothers... Ib, by his mother's, was lovingly called. The one in the middle, his name did, did mean. By the royal annals, on Ib, he was named. The kingship celestial, by generations, the one who is on's son, the name signified. He followed his father on, on Nibiru's throne, by count was the third to reign. So this is basically going through and just telling you the the lineage of how uh, all this was going on. And they're, it's kind of the, um, like the genealogical, genealogical record of these guys. Uh, we're going to skip ahead a little bit because it's just going down this. So by the royal name on Shargal, he wished himself to be known. And this is the son to Anib and Ninib was born, successor to the throne, first by the Count of Kings. His spouse, half-sister, Kinshargal, was equally named. Knowledge and understanding were his chief ambition, the ways of the heaven he assiduously studied. The great circuit of Nibiru he studied, its length a shar to be he fixed. So the name of, well, the one year of Nibiru is a shar. <clears throat> One year of Nibiru was its measure, by its royal reigns to be numbered and recorded. The Shah to ten portions he divided, two festivals thereby pronounced. When nearest to sun's quarters, the festival of the warmth was celebrated. When its far abode Nibiru was distanced, the festival of coolness was decreed. Replacing all olden festivals, 
of tribes and nations to unify the people the two were established. So he got rid of all the prior holidays and just made one. Uh, basically, you could say the summer solstice and the winter solstice for them. Laws of husband and wife and sons of daughters by decree he established. Customs from the first tribes he proclaimed for the whole land. From the wars, females greatly outnumbered the males. So there are more women than there are men. Decrees he made, one male to have more than one female for knowing. Ah, so he basically made a law saying that uh, a guy can have more than one wife, or one hookup, if you will. By law, one wife was his official spouse to be chosen, first wife to be called. By law, the firstborn son was his father's successor. By these laws, confusion soon came about if the firstborn son, not by the first wife, was born, and thereafter by the first wife, the son was born, by the law, the legal heir becoming. So what they're basically doing is they're having an issue. Who's the first? Who, who's a legal heir if there's two wives? The firstborn son of the first wife or the second wife? They're having some, some issues uh, in regards to this. Um... So this goes on and on. He's just basically, these are just, this tablet is talking about the laws and stuff that they had. Now, this is the account of the reign of Anshar, the king and the kings who followed. When the law was changed, the other princes were contending. Words there will be. Rebellion there was not. As the spouse of Anshar, the half-sister chose. He made his first wife by the name of Kishar. She was called and was by this law, the dynasty continued. So again, they're still they're they're kind of pissed off because you know the old ladies are getting pissed off, saying, "No, my son's the first, my son's the second. Um, in the reign of Anshar, the fields diminished, their yields, fruits, and grains lost abundance. From circuit to circuit, nearing the sun, heats grew stronger. In the far away abode, coolness was more biting. In the Agade, the throne city, the king of those great understandings assembled. Learned savants, those of great knowledge, to inquire were commanded. The land and the soil they examined. The lakes and the streams they put to the test. As it happened before, some gave answer. Nibiru in the past, cooler and warmer has grown. So that what they're seeing is they're seeing a... Uh, an exaggeration of their seasons. In the, hot, in the summer, it's stupid hot, and in the winter, it's freezing cold. The destiny it is in the circuit of Nibiru embedded. Others of knowledge, the circuit observing, Nibiru's destiny blame did not consider. The, in the atmosphere, a breaching has occurred. And that was their finding. So, uh, they have issues with their atmosphere. Volcanoes, the atmosphere's forebears, less belching were spitting up. So the volcanoes that actually give them their atmosphere uh, are not shooting up as much. Nibiru's air has been thinner made. The protective shield had been diminished. So they're calling their atmosphere protective shield. In the reign of Anshar and Kinsar, a pestilence of fields made appearing. Toil could not them overcome. Their son Enshar, the throne ascended of the dynasty sixth he was. Lordly master of the Shar, the name did signify. With great understanding he was born, in much learning he mastered of knowledge. To remedy the afflictions, ways he sought of Nibiru's heavenly circuit, he made much study. In its loop of the sun's five family members, it embraces planets of dazzling beauty. For cures of the afflictions, their atmospheres he caused to be examined. 
to each he gave name, ancestral forefathers she honored as heavenly couples they considered. He's talking about the planets. On and on to the twin-like planets, he called the first two to be encountered. Interesting. So now I want you guys to think about this in terms of this is a 5,000-year-old text, and they're talking about, you know, imagine a planet coming in from the outside of our atmosphere. Twin-like planets would be your Uranus and Neptune. Beyond the Nibiru's circuit were Anshar and Kinsar. So let me be clear. Their names are also Ansar and Kinsar of the two people who were in reign. And much similar to the way the Romans and the Greeks did, they named the, their gods after the planets, or we ended up naming the planets after their gods. So similarly, we, we call, like, we have Michael. We have Angel Michael. We have uh, Raphael. We have, these are all names that, you know, we named our gods as well, and that's pretty much what they considered the planets were their gods. They were gods in, in the skies. So let's continue. Beyond Nibiru's circuit were Ansar and Kingsar, in their size the largest. That would be your, I would have to say Saturn and your Jupiter. As a messenger, Gaga among the others coursed, sometimes first Nibiru to meet. Five in all were Nibiru's heavenly greeters as the sun it encircled. Beyond the boundary, the hammered bracelet the sun encircled. Now that's interesting because the hammer bracelet, <clears throat> I guess you could say would be your asteroid belt. As the guardian of the heaven's forbidden region with havoc it protected. So they consider the closer to the inside of the atmosphere, again if they're coming from the outside in, uh, the asteroid belt was the guardian of the inner planets. Other children of the sun, four in its number, from intrusion the bracelet shielded. The atmospheres of the five greeters and Shar set out to study. So he's talking about the outer planets. In its repeating circuit, the five in Nibiru's loop carefully were examined. What atmospheres they possessed by observation with the celestial chariots intensely were examined. Now, I want to be clear about this. This is a <clears throat> interpretation. This isn't necessarily exactly how it was written on these tablets, but this is uh, Zechariah Sitchin and the way that he's trying to um, interpret these so that everyone can understand them. So I, I imagine that he, the words atmospheres was probably not used, but he is talking about that these gods went to these, I guess, other gods and were checking to see if they could be used. So my point being is that this is not a literal translation. This is a translation of, <clears throat> of interpretation. The findings were astounding. The discovery is confusing. From the circuit to circuit, Nibiru's atmosphere, more breaching suffered. In the councils of the learned Cures were avidly debated. Ways to bandage the wound were urgently considered. A new shield to embrace the planet was attempted. All that was thrust back up came back to the ground. In the councils of the learned, the belching volcanoes were studied. The atmosphere by belching volcanoes having been created, its wound by their diminishing belched, belching had come to be. Let, with invention, new belching be encouraged. Let volcanoes spew again. One savant's one savant group was saying. 
How the feat to achieve, with what tools more belching to attain, none the king could inform. In the reign of Enshar, the breach in the skies grew bigger. Rains were withheld, winds blew harder, springs from the depths did not arise. In the lands there was accusations, the breast of mothers were dry. In the palace where there was distress, the accusations therein took hold. As his first wife, Enshar, a half-sister, did espouse, by law of seed abiding. Ninshar, she was called, the Shar of the Lady, a son she did not bear. By concubine, to Enshar, a son was born, firstborn son he was. By Ninshar, first wife and half-sister, a son was not brought forth. So... We're getting back into this. They're talking about the lineage and what's going on. Um, in the end, Lama, the throne ascended. Though not of on seed, he was the eighth to reign. So this is Lahama. In the councils of the learned to heal the breach were two suggestions. One was to use a metal. Gold was its name. On Nibiru, it was greatly rare. Within the hammered bracelet, it was abundant. Which is funny because here on earth or in our society we use gold as a monetary system uh, that realistically it's a freaking piece of shitty metal <clears throat> it was also the only substance that to the finest powder could be ground lofted into heaven suspended it could remain thus with replenishments the breach it would heal protect protection making better let celestial boats be built let the celestial fleet the gold to Nibiru bearing over. Let the weapons of terror be created, was the other suggestion. Weapons that to the ground shake loose, the mountains split asunder. With missiles, the volcanoes to attack, their dormancy to bestir, their belching to increase. So what these idiots want to do is they actually want to shoot nuclear weapons, or weapons of terror, if you will, into the volcanoes in the hopes that they would uh, erupt even larger and spew up more into the atmosphere to replenish the hole. For a decision, Lahama was too feeble. What choice to make he knew not. So this guy was a lame duck. One circuit Nibiru completed. Two shars Nibiru had counted continued. Uh, in the fields, affliction was not diminished. By volcanic belching, the atmosphere was not repaired. Third shar passed, and then the fourth was counted. Gold was not obtained. In the land, strife was abundant. Food and water were not abundant. In the land, unity was gone. Accusations were abundant. In the royal cart, savants were coming and going. Counselors were rushing in and rushing out. To the king, their words, to the the king, to their words, paid no attention. Counsel from his spouse he only sought. Lahama was her name. Laha, Lahama. Oof. Yeah, their names are crazy. But it's basically uh, Lahama. His was Lama. If destiny it be, let us beseech a great creator of all to the king, she said, beseeching not acts provided the only hope. In the royal court, the princes were astir at the king's accusations were directed. Foolishly, unreasoning, greater calamities instead of cure he brought forth. So this guy is basically being a lame duck, and people are getting pissed the hell off at him because he's not doing anything to fix it. 
from the olden storehouses, weapons were retrieved, the rebellion, there was much speaking. So basically, they banned weapons, and uh, these people were going in, they were stealing weapons, because clearly they're going to they're gonna do some sort of a coup. A prince of the royal palace was first to take up arms. By words of promise, the other princes agitated. Alalu was his name. I think it's funny that uh, some of these names actually sound close to the... I guess you could say Allah of the uh, Muslim language. By uh, let Laham, uh, Lama be king no more, he shouted. His decision supplant, supplant hesitation. Let decision supplant hesitation. Come, let us unnerve the king in his dwelling. Let him the throne abandon. The prince... Princes to his words gave heed. The gate of the palace they rushed. To the throne room its entrance restricted. Like onrushing waters they went. To the tower of the place the king escaped. Alalu was him pursuing. In the tower there was struggle. Lama fell to the ground, fell to his death. Lama is no more, Alalu shouted. The king is no more, with glee he announced. To the throne room Alalu rushed. On the throne himself seated. Without right or council, as king he pro himself pronounced. So he was a usurper. In the land, unity was lost. Some by death of Lama rejoiced. Others by a Lalu deed were saddened. So not everybody was happy about what the hell he did. So this is the account of the kingship of Alalu and of the going to earth. So now we're getting into where he went to go look for gold, I'm assuming. Now, uh, in the land, unity was lost. Uh, about the kingship, many were aggrieved. In the place, in the palace, princes were agitated. In the council, counselors were distraught. From father to son, succession of on to the throne continued. Even Lama, the eighth by adoption, a son was proclaimed. Who was Alalu? Was he a legal heir? Was he firstborn son? But what right did he usurp? Was he not a king slayer? So much similar to the uh, um, uh, monarchies of Europe, uh, everything was by the family uh, in order to be you know, kingship. Basically, it was, uh, and I think it's funny that we talk about you know on our uh, our monarchies of the Middle Ages and everything, the king was supposed to be a kingship granted by God, uh, which is interesting because here we're seeing this similar thing on wherever they come from. Before the seven who judge Alalu was summoned, his fate to be considered. Before the seven who judge Alalu spread his pleas. It's the first number seven. Though legal heir, nor was firstborn of royal seed, indeed he was. So they're saying that Alalu was of of uh, royal seed of Arnshagal I am a descendant before the judges he claimed by a concubine my ancestor so his mom was a whore by my ancestor was to him born Alam was his name by well, grandmother was a whore by account of the Shars Alam was the firstborn the throne him belonged by conniving the queen his rights put aside a law of the seed of the knot she was created for her son kingship obtained so he's basically going through here and he is uh he's basically trying to 
<clears throat> plead his case that yeah, I'm uh, I'm a uh, I'm a legal son. Uh, I'm 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 legal. I'm part of the family. So uh, that goes on and on and on, and we don't need to go through the entire thing of it. And you can you can read this for yourself, but um, by law of succession to him kingship belong. By the law of succession to kingship, I am now entitled. With hesitation. The counselors of Alalu an oath of truth demanded. Alalu swore the oath of life or death as king and council him considered. They summoned the elders. They summoned the princes before them. The decision was pronounced. Uh, from among the princes, a young prince stepped forward about the kingship words he wished to say. Succession must be reconsidered to the assembly, he said. Neither firstborn nor queen am I a son. Of pure seed I am descended. The essence of An is in me, is preserved, not by concubine deluded. The counselors heard the words of amazement the young prince to step closer they summoned. They asked for his name. It is Anu. After my forefather An, I am named. They inquired about his generations and of An's three sons they reminded. So we're going to we're going to skip all this again. We're just talking again. He's pleading now his case. Like, no, I'm the I, I'm the legal heir because I'm closer to this, that, and the other thing like that. Uh, so the the counselors started uh, shouting, uh, "Let Anu be king. Let Alalu be removed." Others cautioned, "Did counsel? Let strife be prevented. Let unity uh, let you unity prevail." They called in Alalu, the discovering's findings to be told. So they're letting Alalu know, hey, this guy's actually the real guy. <clears throat> to the prince Anu, Alalu his arm in embrace offered. To Anu, he thus said, though by different offsprings of one ancestor we are both descended, let us live in peace together in Nibiru to abundance return. Let me keep the throne. Let you keep the succession. So what he's basically saying is, when I shit the bed, you take over. To the council words he directed, let a new crown prince be, let him be my successor. Let his son, my daughter, espouse, let succession be united. Yeah, so there's a lot of inbreeding going on here. So if they're family members, he's saying, let my daughter, uh, uh, let my son you know, marry his daughter and let succession be united. There's a lot of inbreeding going on here, which is, again, bring it back to the monarchies of, of Europe. Uh, it's the same kind of shit that went on there, too. Disgusting. But anyway, moving on. Let me, uh, he goes on and he says, uh, A new bowed before the council to assembly. He thus declared, Alalu's cupbearer I shall be, his successor in waiting, a son of mine, a daughter of his, a bride shall choose. That was the council's decision in the royal annals. It was written. In this manner, Alalu on the throne remained seated. He summoned the sages, savants, commanders he consulted for deciding. He gained much knowledge. Let celestial boats be constructed, he decided, to seek the gold in the hammered bracelet. So he's... Uh, Planning on going to the asteroid belt to get gold. By the hammered bracelet, the boats were crushed. None of them returned. Yeah, no shit. They're asteroids. Let with weapons of terror the bowels of Nibiru be cut open, 
let volcanoes erupt again. So he's going to use the weapons of terror on the uh, on the um, volcanoes. Yeah, let's see how this works too. With uh, weapons of terror, the skyborne chariots were armed. With terror missiles from the skies, the volcanoes were struck. The mountains swayed. The valleys shuddered, and as great brilliances with thunder exploded. In the land, there was much rejoicing. Of abundance, there were expectations. In the palace, Anu was for Alalu's cupbearer, which means he's like his bitch. <clears throat> he would bow at Alalu's feet, set the drinking cup in Alalu's hand. Alalu was the king. Anu, as a servant by him, was treated. In the land, rejoicing receded. Rains were withheld. Winds blew harder. So he didn't do shit. Yeah, no kidding. The belching by volcanoes did not increase. The breach in the atmosphere did not heal. In the heavens, Nibiru, its circuits kept coursing. From circuit to circuit, heat grew. Uh, heat and cold grew harder and harder to suffer. The people of Nibiru ceased to revere their king. Instead of relief, misery he caused. So people are getting pissed off. They said, you're supposed to usurp. You're supposed to fix this shit. And uh, you suck. Alalu on the throne remained seated. The strong and wise Anu, foremost among princes, was standing before him. He would bow at Alalu's feet, set the drinking cup in Alalu's hand. For nine counted periods, Alalu was king on Nibiru. In the ninth shar, Anu gave battle to Alu. So, uh, Alalu. So, Anu basically was like, all right, I'm grown up, I'm big enough, let's, uh, let's fight. To hand-to-hand combat with naked bodies, Alalu he challenged. Let the winner be king, Anu. So, let's bring this back into history. Uh, the Olympics, Greek wrestling, yeah, naked. Quite similar to this. They grappled with each other in the public square. Doorposts trembled and walls shook. So they're beating the shit out of one another. Alalu bent his knee to the ground. He fell on his chest. So Anu beat him. Alalu in combat was defeated. By acclaim, Anu was hailed as the king. Anu in the, place, in the palace was escorted. Alalu to the palace did not return. Why can't we do this in, in, in modern days? Like, you want to be the president? Let's fucking duke it out, right? Let's just beat the shit out of one another. Whoever wins, wins, right? What's the problem? Honorable combat. From the crowds, he stealthily escaped. Of dying like Lama, he was fearful. So uh, he was worried that basically uh, what he did to Lama by uh, jacking him up and stabbing him and killing him, yeah, same thing was going to happen. So the crowds were after him. He was being hunted. And he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Unbeknownst to the others, to the place of celestial chariots, he hurried and went. Into a missile-throwing chariot, Alalu climbed. Its hatch behind him, he closed. The four-part chamber he entered, the commander seat he occupied. That which shows the way, and it's all hyphenated, so I imagine that's one of the funny words that they use. He lit up with a bluish aura in the chamber filling. Now, this is crazy. 5,000-year-old text, and they're talking about this guy looking at a computer screen. The fire stones he, churred, he stirred up, their hum-like music was enthralling. The chariot's great cracker he en- enlivened. The reddish brilliance it was casting. Uh, I imagine that's a freaking engine. Unbeknownst to the others, in the celestial boat, Alalu from Nibiru escaped. To snow-hued earth, Alalu set his course. By a secret from the beginning, 
he had chosen his destination. And that's the uh, that's the the end of the first tablet. <clears throat> Next time uh, we'll get into the synopsis of the second tablet. Um, and basically, this one's going to be good. It's uh, we'll we'll do the synopsis here. I'll read it again in the next episode. But synopsis of the second tablet: Alalu's flight in nuclear armed spacecraft. And, and a synopsis. This is in Zachariah Sitchin's own words, not uh, not not what the tablet actually says. So he's just kind of break it down. Uh, Alalu's flight in a nuclear armed spacecraft. He sets his course to Key, the seventh planet, Earth. Uh, key being the the Sumerian name for Earth, why he expects to find gold on Earth, the solar system's cosmology, Tiamat's water and gold, the appearance of Nibiru from outer space, the celestial battle, battle and Tiamat's breakup, Earth, half of Tiamat, inher inherits her waters and gold, Kingu, Tiamat's main satellite, becomes moon of Earth, Nibiru is destined to forever orbit the sun. Alalu's arrival and the landing on Earth. Alalu, discovering gold, holds Nibiru's fates in hands. Uh, so what they're basically saying, and I'm, <clears throat> I would love to know if this is uh, true or not, and I wish there was scientists that, could, that can uh, whether confirm or deny this, but uh, what they're saying is that there was a planet where the asteroid belt is, and it was called Tiamat, and it was a watery planet, and uh, Earth is half of it. And uh, it's funny, if you ever look at a picture of Earth, um, and you take all the water away, it's not so friggin' round. <laughs> and it actually looks like there's a big chunk missing out of it. But we'll get into it next time. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, I'll continue to read this, because I think it's freaking super interesting, especially when the gods start talking about uh, other 33 parallels and stuff like that. But uh, we're going to do it next time. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed. This is uh, Ray Warshaw brother, George Mudry, and uh, I'm out.